Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had already come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent of it. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of the Lord. Thanks, Millie. Keep that part of the Bible open there, folks. Uh, We're going to have a bit of a look at that together. In fact, if you are new or visiting today, you won't be aware of this, but we've been working through the letter of two Corinthians. Paul, who we hear going to Corinth in the first place here in Acts, um, has written some letters. In fact, he wrote at least four letters, we're pretty sure, and made some different visits. We've heard that it's been an intense relationship, in fact. And I want us to sort of go back and look at how did he come to be there in the first place? As I said, an intense relationship from the get-go as he planted a church there in about 50 AD, wrote several letters, made a painful visit he talks about in chapter 2 verse 1 of one of his letters. And from reading the letters, we do get an insight into the different aspects of the relationship, often revolving around questions and confusion, sometimes even outright contradictions in the Corinthian church that Paul planted. Because they wanted to be known as followers of Jesus there, and yet they were willing to do and accept and promote all sorts of anti-Christian things. And the question I want us to be thinking about today is, why did Paul keep contending with and against and ultimately for the Corinthian church? Why did he keep hanging in there with them when at so many points it would have been much easier, much less, less painful personally, just to walk away? I wonder if you've, ever, if you've ever thought the same thing as you've, if you've read uh, the, the letter to the Corinthians, either of those letters that we still have. Well, Acts 18 actually gives us some insight into that question and answer. What began its way as seemingly a random or a chance meeting was actually, what I want you to see here is a purposeful and a divinely designed encounter of Paul with a bunch of people in Corinth And why was it divinely designed this way? It was designed this way for the sake of the salvation of many people who at that time had no clue that they belonged to God through Jesus. Look at what I mean from the text. In fact, if you've got your Bible there, have it open there, Acts 18. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, go and grab one and stick your name in it. That one's yours. We want to make sure that you actually do have God's word. But here we go. Have a look at the text with me. Simply put, the answer from verse 1 of our text today, how did Paul end up in Corinth? Corinth? Well, he left there after Athens. Uh, 18.1 makes it very clear. 
After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, it's not rocket science to see why. Athens and Corinth in in, uh, ancient Greece, pretty close by, major port city. Corinth, very significant city. Nothing spooky-dooky about this. It's less than 100 kilometres away from Athens. It is a major city in the region. An obvious location for Paul to visit on his missionary journey to spread the gospel. Corinth is a no-brainer. But why does he stay there then? Why does he stay there in Corinth? We'll have a look at verse 2. As it describes, Paul so happened to meet a Jewish couple who had become Christians. Their names, Aquila and Priscilla, they were religious exiles from Italy. And they so happened to share the same trade background as Paul in verse 3. They were both tent makers. I mean, think modern day type upholsterers. And so together the trio were able to set up shop in Corinth and it made it possible for them to live and work in this bustling metropolis of Corinth. But get this, Paul's main aim was never to make it, so to speak, as a tradie in Corinth. He had bigger, more fundamental and important agenda on his item. In fact, read verse 4 with me. What does it say there? Verse 4 says, Every Sabbath he, Paul, reasoned in their synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We know that this was his priority. We know this is priority and his priority concern. And we know what he was trying to persuade them of because of verse 5. So keep reading. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, he made it his primary aim, his only goal, this is what he did full-time, was to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, that is, the one to whom the Old Testament was anticipating and waiting for, Yahweh's promised forever king, God himself come to shepherd his flock. And so now, Paul, with the material support brought from Silas and Timothy, he's able to concentrate all his efforts on sharing the gospel with his Jewish kinsmen. Obviously, keen to convince them, as he has been thoroughly convinced, that Jesus really was the big end of the Old Testament law. And when I say the big end of the Old Testament law, I mean that in both ways. The big end as in the chief purpose of the Old Testament law and the big end as in Jesus brought an end to the covenant of law and established relationship with God now through the covenant of grace. Trust in his death in their place. This is a massive paradigm shift. This is a huge thing. This is something the Jews needed to hear. Paul was clearly convinced this was the biggest thing he could do with his life. And he's obviously personally invested in this up to the neck. He was that confident that this is what he should be doing. But how did it turn out for him in Corinth? Did you notice that as you read the text? How well was his preaching received by the Jews? We don't have to guess or speculate, do we? In fact, look at verse 6. It tells us plainly, and the answer is not well. Read verse 6 with me. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said, Your blood be on your own head. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, this is a very Middle Eastern thing to do. This idea of symbolically sort of shaking out your cloak or knocking the dust off your boots. It's like a, a prophetic sign 
of both condemnation and judgment and of personal innocence. I'm done with you. If this is what you want, fine. Knock the boot off. It's all yours. On your own head be it. And then the next thing we read after they have been resistant, hostile, abusive towards Paul and his gospel, the next thing we read is Paul convincing a bunch of Corinthians that Jesus is Lord. Did you look at it there in verse 7? Titius Justus, a Gentile guy next door to the synagogue. Okay, that's quite funny. I'll go to the Gentiles. See you later. He goes next door to a Gentile guy. We can tell he's a Gentile guy. He's got a very Latin-sounding name, Titius Justus. But it's not just Titius Justus who becomes a believer. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his family actually believe Paul and put their trust in Jesus too. And verse 8, there's a bunch of other unnamed Corinthians who likewise believe Paul, trust Christ, and are baptised. But do you get the sense of the feeling that this is it? That Paul's run is done? That the gospel fruit in Corinth has been sought and found? Time to move on again. That's it, Paul. Move on from Corinth. All the rest are opposed or abusive towards you and the gospel message. Do you get that sense of it? In fact, I wonder if you ever get that similar feeling, folks. If you just stop for a minute, pause and reflect on yourself personally. Whether you're a Christian here today, if you are a Christian here today, maybe you're a new Christian, a recent follower of Jesus, or maybe someone who's been following Jesus for a long time, but do you ever get that sense of dejectedness when people don't share the same excitement over the good news of Jesus about forgiveness and mercy and peace with God for eternity made available through him? Do you get that sense of frustration maybe when friends or family just don't seem to get or understand the hugeness of this gospel message that you want to share? Maybe they don't even care to hear it. Or maybe they do care. Maybe they care lots about these type of topics, but like the Jews to Paul, they're opposed, maybe even abusive and hostile in response. You know, the truth is, I've talked to lots of people in our church family who've had these kind of responses from friends, from family, when they've tried to share the good news of Jesus. For some, it has fallen on deaf ears. For some, it has fallen on indifferent ears. For some, it falls on openly defiant ears. I knew a girl once in in a church I was working at in Sydney who became a Christian in her late teens, uh, much to the ire of her mum and dad, who were the chairs of an atheistic society in Sydney. <laughs> they were devastated when their eldest daughter became a Christian. She told me she had to smuggle her Bible in and out of the house. She's the only girl I've known to hid a Bible under a mattress, and if mum found her Bible, she would throw it out and replace it with a copy of Richard Dawkins' God Delusion. <laughs> I think she said she bought around four copies. I wonder if that's been your response. What's the, what has been the response as you've tried to share the gospel with friends and family? Has it just been on deaf ears, on indifferent ears, maybe even on hostile, openly defiant ears? See, the question I want you to sort of wrestle with, folks, is what do you do when either personally friends and family or the world around you seems to stop caring to think about the issues of truth and reality, instead seem to be steaming headlong into the abyss of relativism or progressive selfism or radical freedom, which somehow apparently includes freedom from truth or some other pursuit against God, whatever it may be. If you're here today and you're already a Christian and you've experienced something of that nature, then how do you respond? What do you do? What are your options? Do you throw your hands up in despair? 
Or do you shake the dust off your clothes as a prophetic sign of judgment against them in the world? Or do you keep speaking the gospel, trusting that no matter what it looks like on the surface of people's lives, and regardless of how the tides of culture seem to be washing against the gospel, that God is faithful and that he has many more people in this city? You know, that's exactly what God said to Paul in Corinth. In fact, look at it with me. Read with me in the text from verse 9. Just as it looks like that Paul's run is done, he's got the low-hanging fruit, nothing left to stick around for. Verse 9 reads this. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just a mind-boggling thing to consider? In fact, doesn't it shed new light onto everything else that happened as Paul arrived in Corinth? See, what looked like on the surface of things, a chance meeting of Paul with a Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla. What may seem to have seemed to be a happy coincidence that they shared the same profession as tent makers and were therefore able to set up shop together to support each other, to focus on preaching the gospel in the synagogues on the weekends. And what certainly looked like a dampener when the Jews opposed and rejected and became abusive to Paul and the gospel message that he carried, none of these circumstances were chance events at all. Do you realise that? None of these happenstances were by accidents. In fact, they were divinely designed by God. Why? Because God had more people in the city of Corinth. Whom, as Paul will put it later in the, in the chapter to the Ephesians, in fact, have a look at this verse, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Paul says that he, that's God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with the pleasure of his will. This is how Paul come to understand what God was doing in and on and through him in his ministry and in his missionary journeys. And do you know what that means? (laughs) Do you know what that means? It means that at the same time that the Jews were tossing Paul out of the synagogue, there were people walking around the streets of Corinth who as yet had no knowledge of Paul, had no knowledge, had never heard the gospel message that he carried, some of whom had no clue or no care for Jesus, all the things of God, and yet despite this, God was seeking them out. God had set his affections on them in eternity past, before the foundations of the world, before creation, and now in his sovereign timing had positioned first Paul, and then Priscilla and Aquila, and then Titius Justus, and then Crispus and his family, and then a bunch of others to be baptised alongside them in Corinth, and he would use them to be the heralds of the gospel that would radically transform the lives of many, many more people to become followers of Christ. Did you realise that? It seems Paul didn't realise that until verse 10. That's why God shows up and says, no, no, don't leave. Stick about. Don't be afraid. I've got more people here. Many more in Corinth for whom Christ died, who would come to know and believe and trust that he was true and that by God's spirit, though, through the preaching of the gospel, 
they would become followers of Christ. Now, friends, this passage is obviously written very specifically about Paul in Corinth, but I'm biblically convinced that the same applies to us here in Wagga, and not just to people here in Wagga, but to people in Tamora to the north, Tumut to the east, Holbrook to the south, Narendra to the west, in fact, all over our state and our country and the world. I am biblically convinced that God has more people And I'm not just trying to be poetic or I'm not trying to give you a bit of a phony rev up. I'm not basing this off a vibe or a feeling in my bones. No, I'm biblically convinced because of what the the Holy Spirit in Paul, inspired rather, what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say and Luke to record just one page back in your Bible. In fact, flick back with me to Acts 17.26. This is Paul, before he gets to Corinth, he's speaking in Athens. He's speaking to them and he says, well, let me read a little bit more. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heavens and he does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not indeed served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Again, have you taken full stock of what that means? It means that nobody lives in a time or in a location or with the particularities of circumstance in their ancestry by accident. God appoints it all with exacting precision so that all of his people, all whom are his, those whom he has chosen in Christ, would reach out and find him, though he is closer than a breath to each of us, if he would just open our eyes to see him. That was true of people in Corinth, and as I said, biblically it is still true of people here in Wagga, Tamora, Tumut, Narendra, Holbrook, any other place you care to name. No one's living here by accident. There are many in this city, some who this morning may be nursing hangovers and sore heads, who have little or no concern for Christ presently, whom God has sought and bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And get this, he will have them. They will hear his voice. They will listen. They will not resist forever but will be radically transformed by God's Spirit in His timing and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised Him from the dead. And get this, God has ordained for it to be through some of you people here to have the honour and the privilege of sharing that life-giving, life-transforming message of the Gospel with them. Do you believe that? Do you understand that there is nothing more spectacular or enormous to hope for in 2023 than that God might use you personally? That he would use us as a church family corporately to be the bearers of this eternity-shifting message of the gospel and that through it many, many more people in Wagga would come to realise that Christ died and rose again for them personally, that he ascended into heaven and by his spirit he is pursuing them for salvation and that when he comes back in glory, they will glorify him 
as undeserved objects of mercy with the rest of those whom are God's people. See, no matter what else happens in 2023, whether they be wars or rumours of wars or political and financial instability, climate concerns, deaths both sudden and unexpected or expected, sporting successes, sporting failures. In fact, because all of those things will happen again in 2023, I'm not a prophet, but put a ring around it. Because all those things will happen, there is nothing more important than knowing and sharing the gospel that actually saves. Friends, do you believe that? Do you desire to see that? What could it look like in 2023? Well, I want to take a little time here to do something a little different. Mike, where are you? Can you oh, you've got one? Beautiful. You've already, you're always thinking two moves ahead, that man. <coughs> Mike's going to go around. I've got a couple of people that I want to actually just have a quick chat with, give you some practical examples of what this has looked like in the life of some of our church members in 2022. This is a small smattering of lots of stories that I know have happened. And I want, to, I want you to hear them for your encouragement and for God's praise. In fact, I want you to start with Shannon, would you please, Mike? Shannon, stand and deliver. Here we go. Question without notice. <laughs> stand up. Now, Shannon, I'm not sure if everyone knows Shannon Mulhern. Shannon's had a long, shall we say, checkered history with us at work. She was the teenage girl who would barely look at me over, the sh- over her shoulder, out the corner of her eye, barely acknowledging my existence many, many years ago. Shannon, I'd like to tease you about that because it's, it's so lovely to see the change. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, the last few years, in fact? You have had a history at WEC, a family history at WEC. What happened then? You moved away from Wagga. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened then? Shambles, good save. I was uh, a bit nervous there for a minute. (coughs) (laughs) 18 months ago then, something's happening different. You're not necessarily pursuing God. What's happening is God is pursuing you.
use my suffering to open my eyes and yeah, just call it my own. <laughs> yeah. How has God changed you over the last twelve months then? And and how has that changed as you head into twenty twenty three? What's what's different about Shannon now to Shannon three to four years ago? Isn't that spectacular? Isn't that, isn't that? Praise God. That is awesome. That is terrific good news. In fact, passing across the table, I see they've all huddled in a corner. Darren, I want to talk to you next, Darren. Your story is a little bit different, but yet somewhat similar in some ways. Could you tell us, Darren? Darren Veras, not sure if you've met Darren. Darren's been coming along this year to church. But could you tell us, at the beginning of 2022, who were you in relation to God, Darren? Um, I know I wasn't unknown by God, but I felt... I, I didn't know God in a way that was, that was true to his calling in my life. Um, yes, born and raised a Catholic, so I, I had a, a, certainly a, a, an upbringing of belief and faith. Um, but for me, I felt it was on a, a more of a superficial level. It, it never dealt, it never, you know, went into the depths of where I, I feel... Um, was true to, to the calling of you know, where God wanted me to be. And so what were the circumstances that God used last year to draw you to himself in a, in a fair income, genuine fashion? Uh, well, yes, a few things collided last year or over the last, I suppose, 14 months. Um, I, um, my work situation was challenged, obviously, through the COVID and the mandate. Uh, so much so that I was uh, facing losing my job um, if I didn't partake uh, in the mandate. At the same time as that was leading up to a, a date of, uh, of enactment, um, I came down with, with uh, a staph infection which uh, led me to a couple of weeks in hospital and then following that another six weeks at home. Um, and, um, and so I believe God sort of stripped me right back uh, to the rawness of, of who I was and, and he pressed me I think at that time I, I was never been someone that, that was biblically inclined even though uh, again growing up in the Catholic Church we had we had scripture but not not to the extent when I was searching the scripture and actually delving into that so God pushed everything away in my life at that point and uh, allowed me some time and, and um Impressed me, I think, in the spirit that that actually um, projected me into actually going through the scriptures 
and um, going through a, a daily devotional, which I did um, daily when I was I was home for that six week period, and uh, and got me to really search a bit. I, I'm still very much pressed by the world and the circumstance of the world, and and, and all of us have walked through the, these last months uh, and years, which have been challenging. But um, yeah, and I, I, for some reason, I just I, I delved into the scriptures because I, I think I think like Shannon was saying, I knew that the, the circumstances of my my own place and the world were well beyond my capacity to uh, to control them and to um, you know really have a, any effect on them. And I, I think I knew deep within that um, the, the spirit that God pressed in me that uh, I needed to submit and, and actually then draw strength from from the source of all strength and truth. Hmm. And so I remember a well-timed invite to church from Max, coming along to Jesus seriously, then joining a Bible study, being a regular server now here at WEC. How is 2023 shaping up different for Darren from 2022? Well, it's it's been a wonderful journey so far in the church. I've been... Beautifully welcomed and, and warmly welcomed, and everyone I meet, I seem everyone has a story as we all do, and uh, a lot of people in this church seem to be have, have found themselves coming to this church in a crossroads in their life, whether it be that they've come to Wagga in certain phases, or you know they they've just they've wandered around in, in their faith and found a home here at Wek, and I certainly have felt at home and very much I feel like. Uh, albeit that it's a very short space of time, I feel like this is is my uh, my spiritual home, uh, which I'll be nourished from, and, and uh, also hope that I can contribute a little bit to that as well. But um, again, I, I feel I suppose I'm, I'm pressed now. I'm challenged because uh, I know um, I'm very aware of my sinfulness, and, and uh, I think that's pressing on me uh, more so than any time in my life. I think, and that's. That's a sign, I think, uh, that, that maybe God's drawing me closer to actually examine myself and, and, uh, and um, try to, to fall under obedience to him and his spirit and, and where he's um, trying to direct me. And um, even for the first time in my life, I challenged a couple of people at work to, and just explored a few things about um, where they are. And, um, and again, God's pressing me in all these things to, um, to, um, to move in that direction. And I, yeah, it's... It's a spectacular encouragement. Isn't it fantastic, folks, to see how God is working? Isn't it magnificent? Would you pass the mic over to Maggie for me? Give him a clap. I don't want to big these. I don't want to big these people up. I want you to hear these stories and be encouraged and praise God for the way that He's working in the lives of your brothers and sisters here that you may have never have even had an, an inkling of, a, of an insight into. Now, Maggie, your story is completely different. Again, you haven't been uh, become a new Christian or been reignited in your faith. You've been a Christian for some time. But 2022 was the first time that you got involved in a Bible study here at work. Could you tell us a little bit, how did you come to be involved in a Bible study? Um, I think Tiana invited me. Oh, what a girl. Isn't she a good girl? Oh, she's worth <laughs> uh, and, and tell us a little bit about um, how has God used that in your life to grow you in knowledge and dependence of him? Yeah, the support that you get, isn't it magnificent, folks? That God gives us his word, he gives us his spirit, he gives us prayer, and he gives us brothers and sisters to be able to keep us growing. Isn't that magnificent? 
Um, Maggie, if you were to give an encouragement to people in 2023, maybe people, would you encourage people who haven't been involved in a Bible study? How would you encourage them for 2023? Spectacular. Give her a clap. That's magnificent. Thank you. Mike, would you take it over to Lockie? Where are you, Lockie? You've got to do a bit of running, Mike. Come on, let's clock him. Go! Lockie, you've got to stand. He's up the front, right up in the top corner here. Lockie, um, you and Elijah have done something this year. How, in fact, Lockie, how old are you, mate? How old are you? Fifteen. You're a big bopper for fifteen. Um, you started a lunchtime group at high, at your school at Wagga High with your brother Elijah. What is it? A chess club? Dragons fan club? What sort of lunchtime group is it? Um, it's a gospel group, so we get together on, once a week on lunchtimes on a Tuesday. Why have you started a gospel group at Wagga High School, Lucky? Um, it was started a couple of years ago by my sister Jasmine Blanche, and when they moved, Elijah picked it up. It's just really intrigued me to keep going. Um, so our school has about a thousand kids in it, and there's not much opportunity for them to hear the gospel. Um, we have scripture, but that only goes up to year nine, and even that's only about two kids go go there. So we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to hear. Can you tell us a little bit? How's it gone uh, last year, 2022? How has God used it for at, at school? How's He used it to grow you? Um, so. Gospel group has actually grown a lot, and it's we're now up to twenty kids. Um, and it started very small with only us and the Blanches. Um, <laughs> so it's grown not only in people but in non-believers as well. Um, so that's really good, and it's just grown my trust in God. To He can do anything. He works through everyone, and just bringing more people to come to know Him is amazing. Thanks, thanks for sharing, Lockie. Would you just give him a clap? Like praise God. Friends, doesn't that sort of stuff just make your heart sing? Doesn't it make you want to burst in praise to the goodness of God and His faithfulness to save and transform all who He chooses at His time through His means, through His people? In fact, doesn't it make you thirst for more of the same, both personally, spiritually, deepening your, uh, your, and, tra- and transforming yourself by the Spirit or God transforming you and wanting to see that spiritual transformation of more people in our town? I want to say, family, this needs to be continue to be our vision and our aim for 2023. As we praise God for all the faithful fruit that we've seen to date and then prayerfully commit the year ahead to his sovereign control. Steve's, uh, Steve's actually going to come up and lead us in prayer as we do this. But as he comes up, I don't want us to do this as a lazy, once-off-on-New-Year's-Day type routine. I want to encourage us all as individuals, as families, prayerfully set some goals for the year ahead. Everyone does this at this time of year. Do it, but don't limit yourself to a savings goal or an educational goal or a health goal. Include in it prayerfully a spiritual goal, a personal goal or plan to grow in godliness this year. Maybe it's a Bible reading or a prayer goal or a discipleship goal. Maybe if you uh, haven't been around church for a long time or maybe not at all, maybe it's getting to know God via his word for the first time or reacquainting yourself after walking at a distance for some time. And prayerfully 
use that or prayerfully that that God that God might use you in fact make this your goal that God might use you to open the eyes of another to the glory and the grace of Christ this year in fact imagine being able to stand and celebrate that on January 1 2024 because the truth is folks God has many more people in this city who are his Steve's going to come up and lead us in prayer Uh, In the book of uh, Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Or the powerful boast in their power. Or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. That they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. You are wonderful, holy, and magnificent. You are the king of all the earth. You're filled with power and grace and compassion. Your character is righteous and good. Thank you that we can rely on your character. And on this New Year's Day, we thank you for the gift of a new year. We also thank you for all the grace that you've lavished on us in the past year. You remained faithful even when we were faithless. You gave us daily mercies and we needed your mercy on a daily basis. You delighted in us when we tried to find our delight in anything else but you. Father, thanks for the opportunity to hear from our brother and sister Shannon and Darren this morning, the way in which you've set your love and affection on them from the beginning, helping them to come and put their trust in Jesus. And thank you that you've acted with compassion on all of us, that you did send your son Jesus to die in our place and bring us to you. Thank you that he came and died and rose again and that because of him, we can have a relationship with you. Your love is irrepressible and inexhaustible. And Father, we pray, help us this year to want your glory more than anything else. Unite us under your son, Jesus. Teach us to love your ways. Help our hearts to desire the same things that you do and transform us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. What a great encouragement to hear from Maggie who was able to find a Bible study group to help her to grow and to learn where she is not only encouraged but she can encourage others to live out their trust in Jesus. Father, quicken in us a desire and a diligence to be transformed like our Saviour Jesus. Father, may your love propel us into the stories of justice and righteousness that you plan to write this year on earth, in our community, in our city, in our families and with our friends. May we find joy even when we're suffering. May we work and pray. May we serve and love all to your glory. And Father, we live in a land and a time where people are pursuing petty pleasures 
Father, make our church here Wagga Wagga Evangelical an overwhelming and compelling community where true, true pleasure is found. The pleasure of fellowshipping with you, of longing to see your face, where the unsurpassed greatness of knowing you is lived out and experienced. With one voice and one heart, may it be that we have nothing on earth that we desire besides you, that we proclaim and live knowing that we have nothing in heaven but you. Inspire us to speak of the glory of your kingdom. Help us to share your glorious ways with our friends and family. And Father, thank you for the encouragement of the gospel group at Wagga High School. Students taking the opportunity to share the truth about Jesus with those around them, knowing that that may be the only opportunity they get in their lives. Father, we pray that you would help all of us to be bold in our faith in you. Help us to trust you, to live for you, and to share the good news of salvation. We pray that you would change our hearts and the hearts of many in our city. We pray your word wouldn't fall on deaf or indifferent or defiant ears, but that your spirit, working through your word and through us, your people, would bring many to trust and live and love Jesus. You have many more people in this city. Help us to react with love, to be compassionate and caring. Help us to keep to the truth of your word. And we pray that you would help us to rely on you, not on ourselves. Father, we thank you that you've been faithful to us. Help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.